I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into them. Send her the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. Look at you. Not just that. Every day is a Dre day as well. It's Christmas day. But every day is a Dre day up here on the, uh, the Queensland coast. Hold on, I got one too. Go on, what you got? You're on wheels, ladies and gentlemen, for the benefits uh, of everybody listening, which is everybody, as we no longer share the video. Uh, Jesse has wheeled his desk, his podcast station, across what can only be the bedroom today, where the cat and the sheets blend and appear as one. Uh, And he is digging into his drawers. Oh, he's got exactly the same kind of sparkly, glittery Christmas hat as me. Go on, Jesse, get it on. You came prepared. I didn't. I didn't tell him that that was the theme. There we are. There you go. <laughs> now we are in it. <laughs> well, this is what you've been waiting four months for, Stoke the Fire Crew. Uh, that's about. Oh has, man, is it? Has it maybe even been longer? Let me have a very quick look on um our Instagram page and see. I, if I'm going to be honest, I don't even know, dude. <laughs> it's been, I've been it, in a time warp. It's been over three months. I know that for sure because we yeah. met up in we met up in August, uh, uh, Wacken and Bloodstock, and we hadn't done an episode in a while since before then. Even July with Des was the last one. So wow, pretty much six months, half a year. And for those who can see, say hi to Lillian. She's on my bed here, blending in with the the uh, covers. Yeah, my she's cat. camouflage, Catouflage. This is this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, this is where she spends most of her time. So I've invaded her space. Because Purple is in the other room working on wedding invitations. Uh-huh. My my void room. Uh-huh. She's in there with the printer making wedding invitations for everybody. And she's making them herself from scratch. Of course she is. Ever the artist. Pretty much, yeah. So how's that all going? Uh, pretty good, actually. Um, slightly that- stressful, but not as much as I thought it was going to be. Is that because you're just I, letting her do everything? That's always the wise um, thing well, to do, I think, with wedding planning. <laughs> Let the wife well, do everything, and then they're happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a bit of that, but it's also, you know, i got to pitch in and help. I can't let her do everything. But she does definitely has the vision, and she knows what she wants. And I'm kind of just like, wow, this is really cool. I'm not disagreeing with anything. Um, but we already, like, paid a lot of the stuff off way in advance, so that makes it a lot less stressful. So kind of all we've got left is to rent party equipment and figure out catering and we're talking about getting a a traveling wine bar situation to drive down because it's in such a remote location but it's going to be really small which is nice not a lot of people are really going to make it way out there 
So it's going to be an intimate affair, which I'm stoked on. So yeah, things are going well, man. Well, I very much look forward to being hopefully one of the few who is in attendance. And, uh, what do you mean, if, hopefully? <laughs> and, and, and if you still need what you asked of me the last time we spoke, then uh, obviously oh, send, yeah. me, send me whatever you are, I need and I will begin my... You, um, you are crucial in, in this wedding, Mr. Stocks. Um, nothing has changed. <laughs> good, good, good. And you'll you love the know. crew. You don't know. You don't talk for a few months. You don't know whether you're Oh, no. Come on, man. <laughs> Get out of here. Nothing's going to change this bond. Not even Australia. <laughs> well, Australia has, has only served to strengthen um, everything in my life, I think. Um, before we, we should talk, dive into that. Yeah. Yeah, we will. I think um, we should just sort of backtrack to August and the last time we saw each other uh, and start there, I think, if that's okay. So, yeah. um we met up in Wacken, I think, first. Yeah, Wacken yep. and then Bloodstock was the order. Um, and as you could probably tell um, at Wacken, because we had a nice time. We certainly had a lovely time catching up, and it was really good to see you again. But I was, yeah. definitely, I was definitely on one, wasn't I? <laughs> you were, but you were lovely. You were pleasant. You weren't punishing or annoying. You're actually quite funny. But yeah, you were definitely, uh, definitely on one. I like that. Definitely partying. Yeah. And that was kind of the theme of the summer, really. Um, I got to go to loads of really wonderful European festivals. Um, Hellfest in France, Copenhagen in Copenhagen, SBAM, SPAM in uh, Austria, uh, Slam Dunk, which I do every year, Download, which I did again for the first time in many years, um, Wacken in Germany, and I believe that was it. Um, so it turned into a really kind of party summer which was amazing uh, and i had a wonderful time and and loved pretty much every second of it but wacken was towards the end and um i feel like at that point as as you know as we've spoke about as often happens when you're in the cycle of partying and it goes on for too long the wheels do start to come off eventually no matter how much restraint yeah. or um, control you think you have and um you know and and we'll We'll get to where I am now in a bit and, and everything that you've been going through. But I just wanted to touch on this at the start because it's important for me to express that I'm very much aware you can risk sounding like a broken record, which I do, I think, sometimes on this show where I'm like, I have a problem with alcohol. I'm going <laughs> to give up drinking alcohol. I'm back to drinking loads of alcohol. What do you know? It didn't go so well there. Um, so... That's the nature of addiction. Sadly, that's what I'm kind of coming to to learn about myself uh, is I'm very stubborn in my refusal to say goodbye to this lifestyle because as far as I've always been concerned, it's been the source of everything that's good. And I now know that's not true. It's music and it's the friendships that have come from music that is really the source of everything that's positive in my life. But for many, many, many years up until this year, um, I was always of the opinion that like everything that is good in my life had been born in these fires of late nights and alcohol fuel fueled adventures. And, and that's a big part of my personality is this outgoing kind of like, you know, as you say, hopefully like a kind of not annoying, but definitely like a party guy. Um, and so when I saw you at Wacken, I felt, and you didn't make me feel this way, but I felt afterwards really shit because I really was looking forward to seeing you. And we had a much better time 
at Bloodstock the following week, where that was obviously a much bigger night for your band you were headlining and you know your whole team was there and, and Purple was there and, and I was a lot more sober that night and I was taking photos and I kind of made good on how I wanted Wacken to go the following week, but mm. I definitely felt a little bit like ashamed even maybe. And again, you didn't make me feel this way at all, but I was so looking forward to seeing you for so long. It had been so long. And then I just feel like from the moment you arrived, I was already three sheets to the wind and was fucking like off, you know, because I had fun, dude. Look, I get it. I get it. And you're in a festival situation. And to be fair, um, I didn't have much time either. So I think if nothing else, uh, we fast forwarded right to the funny stuff. And then we dove deep for a little while. When we found a little Lemmy trailer, we did have some depth to it. And it wasn't all, you know. Um, just you being party guy. Um, so there's definitely no need for shame, but I get, I get what you're saying. You just wanted to have a little more control on your mind and your, your conversation, which, you know, when you're inebriated, um, you know, that as anyone who drinks knows you have a couple of drinks and it's kind of like that sweet spot. And once you get past that, you tend to get slurry and you kind of forget and you repeat yourself a little bit. And, you know, to me, that's kind of all chuckly, but, um, you know, then you get to that next stage where you can't even understand what people are saying. You didn't get to that point. So to me, it was all fun, but I, I do understand what you're saying. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to, um, number one, feeling that way. And number two, waxing and waning from not drinking and drinking. That's a cycle a lot of people can relate to, uh, including myself. So you're not alone in that. I think what I've discovered is it's always when it's many days in succession, that is when the problems begin. Because a lot of people, you know, if you just have like a nine to five regular life and you go out on a Friday and you maybe have one big night a week, that's not really a problem, is it? Because you wake up the next day, you're like, oh God, I feel a little bit rough around the edges, but you know, now I've got to tend to the kids or do the gardening or the house chores or whatever it is. So you don't immediately just, you know, think of going straight back to the pub and starting again. But when you're on tour and you exist in this world of ongoing entertainment, everybody you come into contact with, they're kind of in that Friday night spirit, no matter what day of the week it is. So if you roll into Norwich and England on a Tuesday, everyone's like, Wee-hey! it's party night because the circus has rolled into town. And if you so want it to be every single night of the week can be your Friday or Saturday. Um, and when you came to Wacken, it was the last day of the festival. So I'd been there three nights already. It's a free bar, which is quite rare at festivals. Um, and I will say on record, Wacken, in terms of artist treatment, is one of the, if not the greatest festivals in the world. The way they treat their artists, they have like fleets of, of blacked out, like almost limo style, you know, people wagon, transportation, wherever you need to go on time to the minute. Catering's amazing. Full stock bar, free all day, every day. They really treat you great over there. So shout out to Wacken. But yeah, I think when you arrived, I was already, you know, well in the midst of the session and, and it was kind of at the end. And this is what I'm in the process of going through working out at the moment with the AA meetings that I've been attending. If I'll skip to the end and just say that sober a month yesterday, which I've done before. Many, thank you. Well, I've done that before many times and spoken about breaks and I can break. I can abstain. But what I finally accepted, Jesse, finally, is that I cannot moderate. I've tried. Lord help me. I've tried. I really wanted to hang on in there and, and remain a drinker. I really did. Um, but I've now accepted that it no longer serves me in a positive way. Everything that is positive to be gleamed 
from alcohol and parties and social events of that kind has already been achieved and gained and experienced. And for me, there is nothing new and there is nothing positive to be gained from that world. Uh, and I came to that realization on the Floggy Molly cruise, which was very much my um, moment of clarity, spiritual awakening, epiphany moment, whatever you want to call it, all of those things at once, um, where I realized, fuck, like I'm never going to be happy as long as I'm a drinker, because that is actually the source of a lot of my existential loneliness is this cloud of fog that takes over whether I show it or not, you know, people who know me well have seen that sad, dark guy. He doesn't usually surface till say 4 a.m. Um, so you've probably definitely not seen him, but you know that that exists and dwells within me, and I'm sure it does to some extent within yeah. you as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I would like to say to anyone listening too, um, if you haven't, go back and listen to uh, Matt's other podcast, Life in the Stocks with Steve Caballero. It's a great listen. And Matt, jumps into that conversation about the flogging molly cruise and there's a great conversation with uh steve about uh god and the higher power which i thought was incredible really well spoken and both you and steve really just put it out there and it's excellent episode. So highly recommend that so if, you know if you're listening to this one go back and listen to that one after this for sure yeah that'll give you all the context you need really and uh how broken do i sound um yeah. phys physically at least i sound about as disheveled as as a man can sound right it's bad all i think all i kept thinking was tom waits and i found it quite charming <laughs> if i could be honest but no knowing you i i can hear the you know here's the thing about you though dude you know what i've what i've realized with my dealings with you is as low as you've gotten in the times that i've talked to you and i could tell you're low you always have a glimmer of of hope in there and that's what i love about you i know you're going to bounce back and even when i'm concerned you know, which the transition out of that flogging Molly cruise, that little limbo that you were in, which, you know, you can talk about or not. Um, even when I was concerned deep down, I know you're going to be okay. There's just, you know, now that you're, you're believing in a higher power, I, tr I truly trust that God has a purpose for you. And I said that since the day I met you, you got a, a higher calling for sure. Um, with someone like myself, who started out as a fan of you and listening to your podcast, the way you carry yourself, the, the, the depth of questioning you have, your curiosity for life, um, I'm always kind of lean on that when I get concerned for you that I know you're going to be okay. You know, there's something keeping you going, man. Well, truly, it is It is God and it is friends like you. And, and you were the first person in my life to make me feel comfortable with being open to that idea of a higher power. You know, growing up in England, we're a very cynical nation, as you know. Um, yeah. And if you combine an English background with a punk rock background, you're gonna, I think, inherently from a very young age, be critical of 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 religion. And religion and faith, I think, are two very different things. And we can talk about that to some extent, I guess. But you know that that's a whole other massive philosophical discussion. Mm. But you were definitely the first person in my life, really through this show, um, to show me that it's okay. It's totally, totally okay to. Um, you know, talk openly about your belief in these things and not feel, you know, like you can maybe be aware you're going to open yourself up to ridicule from certain people. But I guess the whole point of faith is that like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. As long as you feel that and you know it to be true, what anybody else thinks is kind of irrelevant. I'd love to get your thoughts on that because, you know, you're a singer in a very successful metal band. You're in this world where a lot of metal bands are very openly anti-religion as well as punk. 
And um, yeah, you know, you must be aware that sometimes when you go out or on record on places like this and poke your head above the sand, as it were, and say, I believe in, in God, um, you know, you must know that people behind you are maybe going to be smirking or taking pot shots. But you, you yeah, do well, it anyway. Yeah, well, here's the thing about that, man. You know, uh, I went from being the son of a preacher man, you know, an indoctrinated Christian to someone who embraced, um, an, uh, you know, someone who embraced a much more broad view of what God is, what that higher power is, the great spirit, the creator, um, which to me is neither masculine or feminine. I've, I've come to the point where I think us humans have got it wrong. I don't think anyone's got it 100% right. Um, I think the idea that there is something greater is is enough to start, you know, for some people. But, you know, it's funny, you, you mentioned criticism. You know, the moment I say I believe in God, the most, it's, it's, there's always going to be atheists that come at me and, you know, who disbelieve it. I'm like, cool, you know, I'm not evangelizing to you. I'm not trying to convert anybody at all. That's not my mission. Uh, if nothing else, I'd love for people to believe that there's something greater than them to give them hope outside of this life but you know the biggest problem that i get and you may realize this as you continue on your journey of belief in god or a higher power it's oftentimes the people who are religious who are indoctrinated religious that have a bigger problem with what i say about my faith than people who don't believe because the people that have come at me are the hardcore christians the people who have this set belief that is by the letter of the book of the bible those I, f I find are the people that come at me a lot more than people who just ca either casually believe in God or, or don't even believe in God at all. So that to me kind of continues to reinforce my um, dislike in organized religion because it's not the religion itself per se. It's, it's the people who subscribe to the religion, who believe in the structure and the, you know, the hyper-organized by the letter, this is how you must live, you know, no room for breathing, no room for questioning. So through my life, my journey, I've had a bigger problem with people who are hyper-religious, having a problem that, with them accepting the fact that I used to be an indoctrinated Christian, and now I have a much broader view that really brings me, honestly, a lot more beauty, hope, um, and comfort to believe the way that I believe now, because it's it's open to interpretation. It's ever evolving. You know, the more I meet people, the more I talk to people, the more people have different religious backgrounds. I take what I think is good and I add it to what I believe. And that's beautiful. And I'm not criticizing anybody. Like I'm not pointing the finger or forcing you to believe something. I'm just saying, hey, for me, this is what I think. It's not A, B, C, D, it's other. And I don't know, to me that's that's a good way to be. I'm open for it. If, if in the end I'm wrong, I'll know. But I don't know. I don't think God works that way. I don't think it's as, as cut, cut and dry or black and white as, as most organized religions say it is. I think there's a lot to be left to be interpreted. So that's kind of my t whole take on it. Yeah, Steve Caballero said something pretty similar at the very end of the live podcast that we did on the boat. He said, I've been a Christian since 2003, whenever it was. <laughs> And he goes, and the only thing I've come to learn that's whack about Christianity is Christians. <laughs> and yeah, that's true, I think, of all religion. It's, it's human beings and their interpretation of it that gives it a bad name. It's us 
ultimately. I think the idea yeah. for, me, for me of God is... Because we're flawed. Just, yeah, perfectly imperfect and in some cases worse. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's just the idea of love. Um, that's what it all comes down to. All of it. There it is. Nail on the head right there, Matt. God is love. And if you, you, you kill in the name of that or if you, you know tell people they're damned to a, a fiery pit in hell because of that it's like that doesn't completely make sense to me if god is love which i truly believe that is god, you know love is godliness um then the other side of it where does that come from to me it came from the dogmatics the political structures and hierarchies of organized religion so bring send the hate mail it's, it's coming mm -hmm. well we have a pretty cool community i think one thing that is good about being at a certain level and and we've i think we've alluded to this before but you know because we're both very individually busy people um and this podcast requires a lot emotionally for us to to do it in the way that we want to that's kind of the reason for the big breaks that we've had and this most recent one being the longest is like yeah we tried a few different ways to make the show not a raging success but like some form of of kind of consistent income that would warrant the time and attention that something that you do every week deserves um and so you know we we've enjoyed the thing that i think this show has done incredibly well is it's touched people in a way that most other podcasts don't um but that number of people has been fairly condensed and what i think is a positive of that is that there's no casual listeners to stoke the fire so i don't think we can ever worry about hate mail unless someone was to pull a clip from it and share it in a source that you know hey you never know <laughs> yeah well hopefully that's how you then get notoriety and new listeners yeah but for us i think we always wanted it to reach more people than it did and that's just being completely transparent and so then yeah. when it doesn't hit that it's not disappointment as such because the only i guess the only disappointment comes from wanting to reach people um more people with the positive message but um there just comes a time when you're like, we can't put too much more time and energy and effort into this thing. Um, when life demands that we go out and, and make money elsewhere. And it really, unfortunately to, for both of us, and especially for me, just comes down to needing to make an income, which is a bummer, but that is the, the joys of capitalist society. Isn't it Jesse? Yeah, no, it's true. And, and look, you know, I, what I've realized too, not even just with this podcast, but with my life in general, um, when I write a record, it takes all of me. It really does. I feel like almost probably every record I've made with Kill Switch and Times of Grace requires so much of my time, energy, and spirit that when I'm working on it, I, I can't handle anything else. And oftentimes I get spiraled into a pretty dark place because I'm constantly digging, you know, the lyrics I write, what I do, it's not a casual thing. It's not something that I can just sort of throw out there and like, oh yeah, let's record that song. No big deal. I, I'm painstakingly going over this. I'm losing sleep at night. I'm waking up in the middle of the night with stuff in my head. Like I go through it and I have been going through it with this album longer <laughs> than any other album I've ever made, which Matt, you can attest to. It's just been such a fucking roller coaster. And I think because of that, not only professionally I've had to turn down a lot of things and not have time for, but personally it's, it's affected me. It's affected my relationships. Like this record is taking it out of me. Uh, and that's a big part of my exhaustion and just, I can't, I don't have the energy or wherewithal to take on anything. 
And I've turned down some pretty cool things because I just need to get this record done, uh, which thankfully in the next uh, month and a half or so, it will be done. But for anyone listening there, if you've been wondering, that's a huge part of my preoccupation or occupation. I wouldn't even say preoccupation. Full occupation has been this new Killswitch record. So once that's done and dusted, then I can sort of have room for other things. Well, when we... Excuse me. The voice is still finding its way back (laughs) a month later. Jesus Christ. Do go listen to that episode Jesse mentioned and you'll hear a very very different me. Um, But since we started the show, there was a period where we spoke multiple times a day, every day. And then it kind of went down to once a day, every day. And it was every day for ages. And then it was regularly up until most recently. Regularly, regularly, regularly all the time. And, um, you know, that isn't any reflection on the proximity of our emotional closeness. Um, it was just, as you say, you were in this complete other realm and headspace for so long. And that was the longest we'd ever gone just without even talking, let alone recording podcasts. So, um, yeah, it wasn't yeah. just that we were like, I think some people saw us hanging out at Wacken and Bloodstock and maybe hoped and expected that we'd release some stuff around that. But because that was the first time we just hung out in so long, um, it was nice to just be there and not worry about having to, you know, record or, or post stuff on social media, especially that Bloodstock night, man. I really want to talk to you about that because what a, a triumphant, celebratory, beautiful moment in your life, in your career, in the band's story, your first ever headline set as a band, right? In Europe, at least. Yeah, for, for me. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure about the Howard, Howard years, I'm, but it is. In the UK, I believe our first headlining festival set for sure. Uh, yeah, that goes down to me as, if not the favorite memory, top three memories of my entire career. The way that we are accepted and celebrated by that festival, the people there, the friends that were there, including yourself and our management, and the fact that Purple was able to stay for that. Um, yeah, that, that night will ring in my memories as long as I live. Um, it was just beautiful. And it felt validating. You know, I, I don't usually like to get into the whole, like, you know, things that validate me as an artist, but it felt very much like the fans were there. It was about the fans. The reason why I think we even had that opportunity was because of the fan base in England and the UK in general. And I will always re- remember that and, and hold it dear to my heart and just grateful for the fans for allowing us to put on that set. And I've never been on stage with fire before, and that was wild. That was a lot of fire. It was amazing, man. Yeah, and I'm really happy you were able to be there to to celebrate with all of us. Yeah, it was beautiful. And, and I camped that night, and so after the set, got to walk around the grounds and see people who'd just seen the set and spoke to people in the campsite about the set and it was the talk of the town it really was everybody who was there absolutely was like that's one of the best bloodstock headline sets we've ever seen i read there's a really nice i don't often read reviews of anything um but there's a really nice metal hammer review i'm not sure if you guys got to see that but there's a really nice review of the performance in metal hammer and it, it just it felt like the whole community was really crowning you guys and, and, you know, celebrating you. As you say, they were like, we love this band. We've loved this band for X amount of years. This is their moment. Let's show up for them. Uh, and they did. 
and, and obviously you know you guys all felt it and having all your team there and, and your loved kind of nearest and dearest must have been the sweet little icing on the cake it was a beautiful night even just down to the sunset as you were going on and you know there's these nights where i think alex uh, one of our listeners maybe even commented on a post uh, that i shared about this exact idea of sometimes there are just these perfect nights where ever even down to like the way the air feels and smells do you know what i mean everything's kind of in slow motion certainly like that for me because i was looking at it all through a camera lens as well kind of gave me a very specific voyeuristic kind of vantage point of the whole night but it did feel like the perfect night even down to like just the elements in the air yeah i love that i love that uh i know those nights i've had a lot of them in my life and i'm grateful for them but uh yeah time slowing down that's something that's just beautiful when you're able to really be in the moment and there was times on stage even where i just was like reminding myself to be in the moment uh, and that's something that we've talked about before in this podcast and something that i continue to i don't want to say struggle with but really try to put in the forefront of my mind on a regular basis dealing with my mental illnesses and my anxiety is to be present to yourself and to allow those beautiful moments soak in you know and to be present to people and their conversations and you know, I could even tie that in with alcohol. I think sometimes when you're drinking, the idea of being present once you've passed a certain point sort of leaves you and you're not truly present to the moment, um, which I'm sure you can attest to as well. Um, and that's a theme that's been coming up over and over again these past few months is, you know, I feel there are days where I feel like it's just time is slipping away from me. It's just been crazy, especially as winter has come on. Um, up here in Woodstock, when the sun goes down at like four thirty-five, you know, for the first like week of winter, I was in bed around that time, just having a really hard time. But you know, I always look back on memories like Bloodstock and Download many years ago, and 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 times that we've hung out. You know, I I think of you whenever I go to the waterfall there, Catterskill Waterfall, and just moments in time where you can look back on your life and appreciate when time seemed to slow down and. You know, I often wonder why certain memories just stay with you forever. You know, even random ones like the way the brain and the memory memory works. It's just the human mind is such a complex and beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm really trying to um, nurture and nourish. Reward, rewarding is the wrong word. Um, I'm trying to nurture and nourish pure and, and positive connections in this transitional period um and it's sad and i've been this person to other people i'm sure but when you do consciously decide after talking about it and flirting with it and attempting it when you really put your heels into the ground and go i am changing who i am the way i behave the way i live obviously when you do that the people around you are going to change not everything is going to remain the same otherwise you're not really doing the work and you're not really changing and as you do evolve uh, the people around you either step lean in and they're like we see what you're doing we support it we've got your back we encourage it we're gonna lift you up and push you forward in this quest or they because maybe it triggers something in them they question the choices that you're making and, and try and in, introduce the element of doubt and make you question your own actions because maybe they're not ready to make similar ones and they don't want to lose this connection that you have 
my thing with that has always been when I've seen people get straight, I've just kind of stepped back and allowed them to go forward on that path. And I haven't necessarily been there with them and supported them. But what I've never done is questioned it or, you know, challenged it because that's fucked. Um, but you do notice people around you either come, you know, they're leaning into the flames and they're like, fuck, yeah, this quest you're on is amazing. I see it. I back it. And there's been some wonderful people down here in Australia that have done that. and. Um, amazing friends like yourself and, and many, many others. But there are notable other friends in my life that have kind of just whoop, vanished. And I'm at peace with that. I'm okay with that because I get it and I don't blame them. Um, and, you know, part of it might be like, well, I've seen him say this before and he'll be back eventually anyway. So fucking, <laughs> you know, and there's, a, and I respect that side of the coin too. Um, so there's definitely a period at the moment of grief going on for the old life and the old friendship circles. Um, but I think that idea, the realization for me happened on the cruise, Vlogging Molly Cruise 2023, day one. Um, I won't talk about the conversation that I had because it's private, but I shared it with you. That really intense, tragic kind of, you know, profound yeah. conversation that brought up, <clears throat> excuse me, brought up all of these feelings inside me. And that was kind of when then I just, and I'd been reading this Nick Cave book, um, faith hope and carnage i think it's called it's all like just a series of interviews and he talked a lot in it about faith and about god and and so through doing this show with you my mind had opened to it more and reading this book um with nick cave talking about it a lot and obviously he lost two of his sons in quite a short time period so he was going through this really intense grief and and you know my mum, as i've spoken about on this show before lost my sister um whilst giving birth to her and and so I think grief and the theme of grief in your life, it opens your mind up to life, right? Because you feel most alive when you're confronted with death by its very nature. I think that's the, um, that's the realization that you come to there is like, wow, life is fragile. It's precious. It's fucking transient. So what's next? And you start thinking about these things. And because I've been confronted with death night one on the boat, and there'd been the thing that had happened on the previous cruise that you were on, which I was saying to you, I think that definitely left a feeling as well in the air and on the ship with the crew. Um, and I started thinking like, fuck, who am I really deep down? Who am I? Who do I want to be? What am I here to do? What am I here for? Am I living the life I want to lead? And I don't mean in terms of ambition or success, as you know, that I'm not about that. But I do want to, as I know you do, leave a leave the world a better place you know, when we go on to wherever we go, I just want to know that the people who came into contact with me, um, you know, had their lives changed for the better, not the worse. And that's really as simple as it is. And I figured out in all of this um, revelation that alcohol does not, it, alcohol stopping me from being my best, the best version of myself, as cheesy as that sounds. It is, it's, you know, I know I can be awesome on booze, and I have been in the past, awesome and fun on booze, but I know I can also be an asshole. Um, and I know that I've never done anything that I regret or that I'm ashamed of or I'm embarrassed by when I'm sober and I'm present, ever. I know I'm a good dude when I've not had a drink. I just know that. I'm not someone yeah. who, make, who makes poor life choices when he's sober. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm a really stand-up, decent dude when I've not had a drink. When I've had a drink, I don't really give a fuck. And that's why I drink is to not feel <laughs> not feel the fucking pain that I'm always in. Yeah. Um, and a therapist would have a field day with why all of that's there. But 
That's why I drink is to forget and escape and numb. And I realized all of this on the boat. Finally, you know, after 25 years of, of hard living, I was like, this is why I do it. I'm an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. I've always thought that I'm not because I can stop at any time, but it's the way that I drink and my relationship with alcohol and why I drink that makes me an alcoholic. So I kind of accepted that as I spoke about with you on the phone. It was the most beautiful moment of my life. Complete surrender. Just went into the chapel on the boat, fell to my knees, flood to tears and was just like, I know you're real. I know that whatever you are, you're out there and I can't get straight without your help. I know that I can't. So I'm humbling myself and I'm saying that I'm powerless and I need you. If you are indeed an entity of the profound power that I believe you are, can you come to my side and show me the way here and now? And sure enough, every exchange that I had on that boat from then on in was a reminder of of life and the potential of life without this bullshit um but like a true addict i was like well if this is my last time then i'm not going down without let's, a fight let's have at it <laughs> so yeah. i literally just raged for the whole time and that's why my voice is gone and i sound completely decrepit in the live podcast that i did on the last day with steve caballero but in the lead up to that chat with him i was with this dude there's just a tray of cocaine um and we just worked our way through all of it and i was like cool that's it now. I've gone as far as I can ever go many times over. And now this is the final fucking nail in this thing. And I'm done forever. And it's been an absolute blast. But now it's it's come to an end. And then I got a bit of rest, went to do the thing with Steve. And that was my day one. That's where I chose day one of my sobriety to be was on the final day of the cruise because I love a challenge. Um, and then the moment you referred to the limbo moment earlier was when I was stranded in Miami waiting for my visa to come through didn't know if i was going to make it to australia didn't even have shoes because i'd left them on the boat it was just a fucking mess of a man walking around miami in the rain calling jesse just i don't know what i'm gonna do and like the legend that he is he just you know was there to listen and offer some gentle guidance and you know you taught me patience many years ago when we first became friends and you kind of just were there for me along with two other people um in that real hour of need uh and i just sort of held on to my hope and eventually made it out to australia and then when i landed in australia i joined this traveling festival called lager fest where all these bands are drinking beer out of their <laughs> shoe and i was ironic like, what, a, what a great place to be sober but those guys were beautiful and amazing and supportive and they were like we totally get it we see you we have your back and every interaction i've had with friends of old new friends been going to aa that's been its whole other thing and I'll wrap up this rant in a minute, but I just wanted to say that the um, the universe has had my back since that realization. The writing has been on the wall in every interaction that I've had. Um, and I really think it is as simple as just being open to the idea. And if you believe and you act as if you believe and you engage with the world around you as if these things are real and they mean something, then you will see the results time and time and time and time again. Um, and that idea of self-manifestation and um it's just been a really beautiful month since admitting it began with that moment of surrender and admittance um but since that moment everything has been better and easier everything and it just comes down to the way i think about myself and feel about myself and about you know what's important in the world around me and it's been life-changing and so wonderful beautiful i love it and taking control back you know i think that's the one thing that addiction can can do is you lose control of who you are 
Um, and there's a quote by Steve-O, I heard a soundbite rather, where he's talking about alcohol and he says, it's not the alcohol, it's the person, it's what, what's inside you, the demons that you're dealing with, or the person that you are, the, the trauma that you have. Alcohol is just numbing, it's just sort of like the thing that you do, but the real work begun, begins when you remove alcohol or you remove the addictions and then you're just left with your feelings. That's why a lot of people, when they go sober, those emotions flood up and, and sobriety becomes the new addiction. It's You get sort of high on being sober, but then there's that crash of like really having to sit with yourself. And, you know, I could see why people you know are drawn to places like aa because it's it's as we spoke earlier about this like it's group therapy it really is you you feel less alone you get different perspectives people are telling you what they went through and oftentimes because i've been to these meetings too um you know as someone who was supporting somebody going through aa some of the stories you hear are so wild that you kind of look at your own life and go well you know i thank god i i got out thank god my life wasn't that crazy i didn't do what that guy did or that girl did um so that whole community that whole idea of recovery and i know you know speaking to to randy from lamb of god for example about it um it's just a great support system and it helps you navigate sobriety isn't you know not a lot of people talk about it in the mainstream it's not something that's very popular a lot of people like you say shy away from it look you're going sober do you good for you i'm i'll be at the pub having drinks continuing my life like good luck to you so a lot of people don't talk about that process of, of how difficult how liberating and beautiful for sure but how difficult navigating your emotions and your brain and when you get rid of this thing that's numbing certain parts of your brain those certain parts of your brain start to light up and you become very emotional and kind of unstable for a while. And that's difficult waters to navigate, but it's all part of the process. And it's something that I've felt too when I go sober for like a month, like this coming January, going to have a sober January. I think it's important to do that. Um, if you're not going to go sober, you need to take breaks to sort of know who you are without this thing that you're constantly ingesting that manipulates your brainwaves and manipulates everything about you. And I don't think people realize the, even if you're just a casual everyday drinker, it still affects you on a, a crazy level. Um, that is something that I feel like more people need to be aware of. I actually love sobriety as well as you know. I've never had a break and like been depressed. Do you know? Yeah. That's the other thing with me, as you've seen time and time again, every time I take a break, I'm like, all oh, this energy is coming out. I look and feel healthy. Yeah, you get like, work done. Like, you go for long walks. Yeah, you're like in your prime, dude. I love sure. it. But then what happens every single time is like, oh, but I do like drinking. And um, I've had this time off to think about it. And now if I go back, I know I can just have a couple and I can, you know, treat it differently and have a new relationship. And I might do for like a night or two. And then, boom, it's just straight back into the belly of the beast. Um, and it's denial. It's denial and it's ignorance on my part that I think I can beat it. I can cheat it. You know, and I'm always like, I'm not going to admit that I'm powerless. Like the first step, fuck that. I'm all the power. Like all the power is me. I make the decisions. I make the choices. I'm driving the seat. I am when I'm sober. But right. when, I, when I get out of my mind, I'm not behind the wheel all the time. And that's kind of why I like it. Because I'm like, well, hey, freedom, it's liberating. But it's really not. 
Um, anyway, I'm not here to like preach about the awesomeness of sobriety. Um, what I am here to share is that um, I feel amazing. It's beautiful. So I, I have a question for you, and um, maybe the people want to know if they haven't been reading on your socials. Why Australia? What brought you to Australia? And now that you've been there, how do you feel about Australia? Because when we spoke, I had said to you, man, I have a feeling you're going to get there and it's going to be a game changer for you because mm. I've just really enjoyed my time in Australia, the people, the culture, and now you're there at the perfect time of year, the sunshine. It's a completely different world. So why Australia? And now that you've been there, how is it treating you? And, and what's, what's in the, you know, in the front window of your, your car as you're driving, like, what do you, what are you driving towards for your future in the foreseeable future? I should say. So the reason I came here, backtrack, the reason I came is I was offered a very short tour with a band called Lagerstein on their traveling festival, Lagerfest. They play like pirate music, lovely dudes, drink shoeys, good time guys. I'd met them a bunch of years ago. Uh, and they were like, do you want to come down and DJ and host these shows? And I was like, hell yeah. How many? When is it? Uh, and it turned out it was like the day after the Flogging Molly cruise was the first date. And I was like, well, I'd love to, but there's no way I'm going to make it from a boat in Miami to I think Christchurch in New Zealand was the first show. So I can't make the first two dates, but if I miss out the New Zealand section of the tour, I can join in Australia and do the rest. Um, I'm in. So they're like, we'll sort out your flights and your fee and your visa. And I'm like, well, fucking hell, all right. If I'm coming all that way, I'm not just going to stay for five days and do this tour and then fly home. What's the longest I can stay? And they were like, well, three months on like an entertainment work visa. So I just said, well, if, if it's okay with you guys, put me down for that. And I'll just hang out for three months. I'll stay in hostels, stay with friends, pick up DJ gigs, you know, record podcasts, do what I do in England, but do it down there um, where the weather's nice and, and the people are nicer, um, to be honest. And, and so that was the, you know, plan. And then, you know, the, the Floggy Molly Cruise thing happened because initially I was just going to come down here and no doubt rage for three months. And that option would be here in abundance if I wanted it. But I think going back to the idea of a plan, a design and, and a higher power guiding you, I think God stepped in on that boat and was like, dude, if you go to Australia like this, you're going to die. You're probably not going to make it through summer. You know, you've been going pretty hard for a while now. You've had a few lucky escapes uh, and maybe that luck has finally come to an end and it's time to turn your life around. And what better place to do it than this beautiful ancient land surrounded by a supportive network of caring friends um, and opportunity and, and a, a sense of self-worth within yourself, which the industry that I work in, as we've spoken about, I speak to you privately about this a lot. I think we've spoken about it on the show a couple of times before, but um, the UK music industry has never had my back. That's not me getting out the world's smallest violin and going, boo-hoo, isn't my life tough? But it is a fact that nobody in my industry in my country, has my back. I don't have peers in the DJing or journalist or presenter areas. Everybody talks shit about me, whether that's because of jealousy or just disdain, I don't know. But my only friends in the music industry are American and Australian musicians, generally, and then touring crews. People, and then like people who work in the live event and, and kind of entertainment sector. So venue owners and, and booking agents and things like this but if we're talking like band managers publicists other journalists presenters djs etc i don't feel like i'm a part of that and i've realized whilst being down here 
fuck, a lot of my misery and my unhappiness is from being in this quote-unquote community that is actually just this toxic, disgusting environment where everybody is out to fucking fuck over the other person at any expense, and there's no support, and there's no care. And Ian wrote about it in his book, Ian Winwood, who we had on the show, but he wrote about the industry in a very complimentary way. No disrespect, Ian. Uh, it's an amazing book, but the way he writes about Kerrang! magazine as being this beautiful family, it ain't. <laughs> At least that's not my experience. Um, and I feel like he gives the industry an easy ride because he wants to continue to work in it. And I understand that. And maybe that's why I have enemies is because I you know, speak my mind and people don't like that. But that's kind of why I'm down here is I'm figuring out who I want to be, but also what I want to do because the industry that I work in is the source of a lot of my unhappiness. Um, it's also the source of some great friendships and experiences, but is it worth it to keep going to these suicidal alcoholic depths of despair? Is it worth it to still get to go to festivals and photograph bands that I like? And, you know, is it worth it? What's the trade-off? So that's the rawness that I'm sitting in at the moment, as well as doing all the sobriety work, but it's all one and the same really is, um, who am I without that stuff? For me, it's the interviewing. This is where I thrive and excel. This is my calling. This is my purpose. This is my power. This is everything that is joyful in my life comes from these conversations that we have on this show and the conversations that I have on Life in the Stocks. But I've never been able to monetize it. So maybe I look to try and do something similar in, a, in an area that pays. And again, I've spoken to, to you and on this show about it, whether that's lecturing, whether that's mentoring. Um, what do I do next, dude? I don't know. But I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not worried. You know, I'm taking my time. I really want to do more monster truck shows. When I go back to the UK after here, I go straight into two months of monster truck shows all around the UK and Europe. And that's going to be teaching European hosts how to do the show and kind of doing more of a producer behind the scenes role, which really excites me because I think the other thing, dude, is like, I'd no longer have the drive that I used to about being in the spotlight or, um, you know, like the host. So maybe I can just use all the skills that I've got to train other people who want it more and see them flower and grow. Like I just, I want to do stuff that has purpose and meaning and that there's real connection behind it. Um, I so love that, that, man. That's where I'm at. I got to say, and anyone listening here, uh, real talk, you know, I've said, <laughs> I've said it before, but you know, anyone listening here, if you know, if you know somebody that's, you know, in, in the industry that has a, a job for Matt doing some kind of an interview radio thing, please let them know because that, that is what you are great at. That's where you shine. Every interview I listen to, I, I listened to the Billy Bob Thornton one recently as well. I mean, you have it, you have it. If there's a thing that's it, that what do you want to call it? Journalism, which, I don't even think you're limited to that title. You just have a natural curiosity for humans and you ask the right questions. You do enough research. You keep it engaging and interesting. I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's very few people off the top of my head. Rich Roll would be one of them that engages people the way that you do. And that's definitely a gift. So I hope more than anything that you're able to get that and monetize that. But well, I, I might, also just, get keep, the I might just keep doing that for fun, dude. Like that's kind of why that's kind of where I'm at with Stoke the Fire and Life and the stocks now. Anyway, is I just do. I haven't looked at the listening figures in years. I don't care. Um, 
I don't really pitch to PRs anymore for guests because I can't be asked to deal with them. I'll just message people direct if they're in, they're in. If they're not, they're not. But I yeah. really just do both podcasts for the love now, and that's it. And, th- and then it's pure and it's awesome. But what I need to do outside of them, because I'll continue to do them, is figure out a way to make money. But go on. Sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I was going to say, but I get the whole behind the scenes thing, you know. Being a um, vocalist, some call it a front man, but, you know, in reality, Adam D to me is very equally much the front man. So let's just say lead vocalist for Kill Switch Engage. Um, I crave the behind the scenes as well. And uh, I've actually talked to my managers and put myself out there. And I'll say it now if you're listening. Um, I'm, I want to start producing um, vocalists. I want to help with people writing lyrics. I think my gift lies within the written word and the spoken word. Um, and if I can find a way to monetize that, aside from being you know, the guy on stage, I love that idea too. I just think once you've had a lot of it and you've pursued it and you've been after it for so long, the idea of stepping back from that is appealing. Um, but I also, you know, in the same breath, know that I, I truly do love performance. I love touring. I love it. I still love it at my age. Of course you want to be on stage and of course you want to have those moments of interaction with an audience because, you know, you're an amazing figure in that community that you exist in dude and you obviously got to experience that on your own cruise that you went on before me like we've spoken about my flogging molly cruise experience but you were obviously on the lamb of god cruise as as a dj ironically you weren't there as jesse from well you were there as jesse from kill switch but you weren't in kill switch but tell me about the interactions that you had on that boat and the ways in which that maybe reinforced how you know valuable your role is to you and how special and, and meaningful um, the relationship with with the community around you and the audience that you've cultivated is the lamb of god cruise was one of my favorite experiences i've ever had um as just as the british would say a punter just going there to like enjoy my friends and bands i haven't seen in years and i did go into two mosh pits um i definitely went and threw down pretty hard <laughs> yeah i did i still got it i i threw down with the kids um and had just a really good time you know the first day was a lot of ooh, you're jesse leach from kill switch engage photo autograph whatever but after that first day which you can attest to this people kind of ease into that cruise thing and you kind of just become friends and i started to become you know jesse instead of just jesse from kill switch and people weren't taking the pictures they wanted to buy me a beer or you know hang out and have a conversation about life and i did that i made myself available every night I would go out and just wander around and watch bands and hang out and talk to people. And I had such joy in my heart. It was a joyful experience. I got treated really well by the Lamb of God camp. Um, they couldn't have put me in a better place, you know, just as far as where I was staying, how I was treated. Um, and then, you know, the, the tragedy that, you know, if you don't know, there was a, a young man who on that second to last night, jumped off and took his own life and that really the vibe was really heavy that morning but it turned into and i feel like this is where the community aspect does come in when you're dealing with death the community really rose to the occasion and that last day was healing it was magical it was beautiful um i did an acoustic set with um mark morton from lamb of god um and 
Matt, uh, oh, Matt Jimmy James, I think is his name, who's a brilliant singer. And we did a bunch of um, songs, and then I stood up and sort of just, I don't know, the spirit took me, and I just talked about being there for people and being able to to speak out when, when things are hard and how we need to come together and heal as a community. And that last day was just something else, man. Um, and I think that anyone who was on that cruise will never forget the vibe of that boat that day. Everywhere you went, you saw people either with tears in their eyes or, or arm in arm, hugging people, friends, just being together and, you know, not jovial and celebratory, but like, enjoying life together and, and realizing that life is precious so i i walked away from that cruise and i would definitely do it again in a heartbeat um and uh lamb of god's doing it again next year so if you know i think it's it might be sold out but what an experience i i didn't think i was going to enjoy it as much as i did and to be on a boat in the middle of the caribbean with a bunch of like-minded people i mean when i was younger you told me i would be doing that i would be like no way i, I just couldn't believe that metal music brought us all out to the middle of the caribbean on a boat and just having fun and meeting new people and making new friends so it was incredible yeah and i think that feeling from your last day because it was you know the way the cruises work is you get everybody off the boat and then everybody gets on and the next cruise starts up and and mine was two days after yours finished so i think a lot of that remnant was still on the boat in the air certainly in the hearts of, of the crew who'd worked it and um i said it in the introduction of the cab podcast that i did but on those cruise ships specifically i think the punk and, and the metal ones where the community is already there um everything comes to the forefront in such a powerful kind of like 4k whatever it's called high definition um presentation of life the ups the downs the joy the struggle the heartache the pain um you know you really come to know these people and it does become mm. like a family you know i mean it's like it's only five days but you know you're at sea it's like a voyage you go on this quest depending on how romantic or you know how much of an overthinker you want to be but i do feel like when you go it's not just like going to a festival where they do have their own energy balls and and kind of unique experiences i've been to a million festivals i've never experienced anything like what I experience on the Flogging Molly cruise every year, where you're just like, oh my God, like, again, not to be a complete God botherer, <laughs> but you're like, God is everywhere right now in every conversation and every look and every glance. Like, it's just fucking right there all around you. And that's what gave me that strength on that boat to just be like, I want to show up for myself, but I also want to show up for my community, for these people who are around me because they deserve better. Um, and I'm really pleased that you had that exact same experience on your one as well as, as an artist. And as you say, you someone who's a bit more like, oh man, am I going to get punished the whole time? Um, once everybody's got that one photo, then as you say, you're just, you're dinner mates. You're sitting across the table from the guy. He's like, oh, there's Jesse again. Hey dude, you're right. See you at the bar later. It's immediate. The connection is immediate and it's real mm. and it's awesome. Um, and shout out to sick man as well. They're just the greatest. Team. Yeah of events organizers and my dream actually did would be this is here's kind of where my head's at at the moment my dream year would look like this although i've just bagged on djing um i would love <laughs> a lot i would love to do the monster truck stuff throughout kind of spring and autumn intermixed with some actual more steady work 
for the sick man cruises, hosting activities and events on the boats and, you know, doing live interviews and kind of just coordinating the programs and the entertainment and the music on all their different experiences and then doing the odd wedding DJ gig here or there that's, you know, because wedding DJ gigs are amazing because everybody's there to celebrate love and they're using Yeah, that's different. They're at nice venues and you meet with the couple and you kind of curate the music they want to hear. And then even if their guests are bothering you on the night, you say kind of like, well, you know, it's their wedding and we've worked out the music with them. So if you want what you want, you get married. Hi, me. And there we are. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that would be my dream existence. I think the combination of all of those things, then doing my podcast just for fun, that would allow me to exist in the world that I want to of entertainment and music and, and still have performative stuff going on. And then the behind the scenes stuff going on connection real connection everywhere but the key thing not have to deal with any of the politics or the bullshit that comes with yeah. the, music, the music industry back home i would yeah. be as my great friend whitfield crane says in it but not of it love that um it's funny man i was as i was listening to you but I, in a, it was a mantra going through my head and it was the word connection and you said it immediately when it popped into my brain and i think to me that's sort of the the bow I think we can put on this episode is what you found on the flogging Molly cruise, what I witnessed on the Lamb of God cruise, what you see when you're in the right time at the right place with the right band or the right group of people um, is that connectivity. And that's something that keeps me going. It's something that I seek out. It's like, once you have that special moment where you, you're just there for this song that's being played and everyone around you is just in it. That feeling that you just can't describe. You can't really put words to it because I do believe that God is in those moments when you have those um, connective moments with a group of a large group of people that may have been strangers before that moment. But after that moment, it's there's something that happens it's something uh, i would say even on a chemical level or a cellular level that just draws you in and pulls you to realize that that's what it's all about isn't it that's why we're here people always wonder you know this existentialism i'm 100 one of those people i think on existential terms on a regular basis why are we here what is the purpose why am i going through this and the end of every single depression or bout that i have dealt with is connectivity you can't and you shouldn't be alone in this world it's good to be reflective and to have those moments alone but we need each other people need people that's just the bottom line that's how we experience the beauty of god if you will is through each other that's that's it that's the bottom line we need each other we need to be connected to one another and that's why we even started this podcast and we've talked about it since day one. And that's why I continue to do Kill Switch is because we have so much more in common as humans, as wars rage all around us, as, as you know, corporate greed makes people homeless and, and allows them to die in the streets due to lack of medical attention. The list goes on and on of all these horrible things that happen all around us. But if people just realized how much we had in common there wouldn't be any of this stuff 
And if you truly do believe that God is love, love is the only thing, is the only thing that will be able to save us from the darkness that's all around us. And love is the one thing that continues to drive people like you and myself to continue to do what we do because we want that connectivity. We have to have that connectivity. That is life. That is the stuff of life. Without it, it's hopelessness. You're lost. You're out there in the void. And, and what do you do? Like, I, I've never been able to understand that. Like, without a faith in something greater than you, without a belief in love, which is God, you've got nothing. That's it. That's what you do so well, my friend. You tie the ribbon and the bow around the whole idea <laughs> with such beautiful poetry. Um, and that really is your calling. And I hope as your career you know, continues to flower and flourish, you will explore these other avenues to the gift that you have to share because you're an amazing vocalist, you're an amazing lyricist. But as I've come to know through our friendship and through sitting in these spaces with you, you, you are, I don't even know, a, 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 there's a spiritual quality to everything that you do. And when you just talk like that and share your truth and your observations, it really does connect with people in ways that I think fans of your music would agree is even more powerful than, than the songs that, that you create. You're a really special, unique, incredible individual. Um, I'm so grateful to know you and, and, and call you my friend. Um, and I've really missed these dudes. And I, I really, when we don't talk regularly, I miss our conversations. And I know you've been busy and I know you've had your own stuff going on, but can we both make more of a pact to be a more regular with our yeah. communi communicado? And I want to ask you, although that was an absolutely beautiful note to end on, before letting you go, I know you've been shifting through the fog as well. Um, are you now in a place where you feel like you know what needs to be done have done what needs to be done do you see the way forward do you feel positive and, and hopeful and optimistic in your heart are you in a good place um share with me the jesse leach journey of the last few months if you wouldn't mind before i do let yeah you yeah saunter off into the night <laughs> i think that um you know i've definitely been through it but yeah as as we sit here now um i you know i listen i've never lost hope i never lose hope I always know things will get better. That's, that's ingrained into me. As much as I who, who want to organize religion, you know, my father being a minister and a man that I admire very much to this day, a lot of my, um, and my mother, a lot of my good qualities come from those two. And they've taught me a lot about their faith in God. And, and they definitely walk the walk. They don't just talk the talk. So I have to give them the highest respects for raising me the way that they did. But that being said, I've, you know, I've got my flaws, I've got my mental illnesses, I've got my trials, I've, I'm still a work in progress, I've got my bad days, you know, um, I've had moments where I've been an asshole. Um, so, yeah, of course I see there's, there's no other way but forward. I think sometimes you have to dip, dip back into the past a little bit to sort of take stock of, of, uh, of what you've been through and, and re-examine your scars, but there's no other way but forward. And I know that I'm destined for, for some kind of greatness through the connectivity and through the, you know, the gifts that I've been given, whether that be spiritual or musical or lyrical. Um, there's no, I have no choice. This is it. It's all or nothing. And I, I won't stop doing what I'm doing and uh, trying to achieve things and pursue things in the name of love. 
uh, until I die. It's my calling. I know it is. I don't know what exactly it is. You know, I'd love to do something outside of music as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I can't help it. I'm a hopeless optimistic, even when things are dark and I really beat on myself, which I have a tendency to do if something goes wrong or if I, you know, misstep or treat somebody well, I beat myself up harder than they could ever. And that's definitely one of my flaws, but I'm a hopeless optimistic. And I know that there are greater things in store for both you and I. And as dark as this world gets, um, I truly believe in the end, good will prevail, love will prevail, and God will show us why we've been through everything we've been through. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. I really hope through these conversations, we can continue to nurture our own little community around this podcast as well. What I would love to do, if you're all right with it, I never wanted to do this in the past because I didn't want to take away any of the listening figures from Stoke the Fire, but now we can both agree we don't care. Can I put this out on Life in the Stocks and Stoke the Fire so I can yeah, hit, of course. hit up all of my audience on there as well and hopefully get some of the people that, you know, because what, what's been interesting with the last few months is so many people have been like, when's the next Stoke the Fire episode coming? And, and so that audience I know is there, but then like um, with my show, over 300 odd episodes, because there's been so many conversations i feel like it's been hard trying to get some of the people from over there over here just because it's like is there enough time in the day but i'd really like to share this on both platforms and hopefully encourage people you know to intertwine between the two and, and just kind of grow what we have because i've felt it and i know you have with the emails we've received and we haven't been great as of as of late with keeping up with everything but it is hyper real the appreciation that we have for everybody who does connect with this show and with us and the conversations that we have. Um, and it's definitely important for me. I hope it is for you to continue to grow that in this lane as well. So um, I'll do that. If you're happy for me to do that, share, yeah. it on, share it on both. And then when I'm home in a few weeks, maybe six weeks, I think it is, I go back to the UK, let's try and start. And hopefully around that time, you'll have finished completely finally. With the oh, album I will <laughs> as well. Will. And um, if there is a gap in our schedules, you know, a week here, a day here, wherever it is, hopefully we can start booking in some new conversations, maybe get some listeners back on and, and start stoking the flames, you know, with at least some semi regularity once yeah. again, because I feel like it's too much of a special group that we've already cultivated around this podcast to let, you know, disappear into the night so let's um i agree let's endeavor to uh to throw some more logs on the fire in the new year and, and get the show kind of you know back up to at least half speed yeah and it's good therapy too for both of us and i think it just exercises not only our friendship but our mutual love of connectivity with people so yeah the the um the show must go on i guess you should say the show must <laughs> go on did you like that you're my best friend queen song that i put over the picture oh yeah i loved it beautiful <laughs> stuff I you really it. are dude you really are you've always been and i know that you don't always do well when you are in your hole with reaching out and, and asking not for help but just for you know a friend to be there and and, and maybe you know just listen to thoughts you have going mm -hmm. on but I think the nature I've been thinking about this a lot, along with everything else, the nature of any good friendship, like a relationship, like a partnership is based on equality. And you have always, always been there for me. And I just hope that you know 
if you do ever decide to, you know, reach out, that um, I am always here for you, and I hope that you know that. And please, I do know ever, that. If you ever need and a friend, do not be shy and lean on me as well, because you're always there that, for brother. me, man. You're always there for me, and I owe you so much, and I love you so much. And yeah, very lucky to to have you. It's in my reciprocal, life. brother. There's no owing. You don't owe me anything, but yeah, I I appreciate that. I'm definitely not the best when it comes to reaching. I I fight my own battles alone to a flaw. Um, and and Jeff, as you know, Jeff, one of my best friends as well. Um, it checks on me every once in a while, just like you do. So you and you and Jeff are my guys, man, and I appreciate that. But um, yeah, more of this soon. Uh, but in the meantime, I've got to get dinner. I haven't had dinner yet, and the Australian sun, I'm sure, is calling you as well. And I just want to thank everybody for their understanding, for their patience. Um, and even if you didn't have patience, it is what it is. This podcast is what it is, and I love that it's a passion project. It's not based on on figures or money or any of that and we're still here we're still kicking and it's it's a beautiful thing man it's going to continue on I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.